We are in a new universe and we can succeed at this. We need to communicate a lot. We need to know how we can depend on each other. We need to create great outcomes together. But, but what's more exciting than that? There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTel. I'm pleased to welcome Catherine Moy, Chief People Officer for BDO USA, one of the nation's leading professional services firms. Catherine has been with BDO for 19 years and in 2014 became the firm's first chief people officer. As CPO, she focused on building and sustaining a strong corporate culture and empowering people to do their best work and be their best selves. Prior to becoming CPO, Catherine led the firm's assurance practice in Boston and acted as lead partner on some of its largest public company audit clients. Before BDO, she spent nearly 20 years at Arthur Anderson, which was one of the top accounting firms in the world. From the firm's purpose-centered culture to its well-established workplace flexibility, we'll discuss the crucial issues leaders face as the nature of work and our relationship with it continues to evolve. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for being here today, and I look forward to diving into all these questions. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to begin by asking you about your career path. You majored in accounting at Boston College and then spent nearly 40 years working for two of the biggest accounting firms in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how you started off as an accountant and auditor and developed into a leader of people and culture? Uh, Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, Now that we've admitted how many years it's it's been, you know, the the beginning is really simple. There were people ask, why did you major in accounting? And I'd like to say half tongue in cheek, you know, there's 19,500 reasons I majored in accounting and plus there was overtime. So it was a really secure way to get a good job coming out of college. And that was a primary objective. Now, the more interesting question, I think, is but, but why did you stay, right? If, if it wasn't enjoyable, that, that, that wouldn't have been satisfying for very long. So to me, the more interesting question is, you know, what do you, what do you have a passion around? And, I, you know, deep, dark secret I'll open with, I do not have a passion for generally accepted accounting principles, but I do have a passion for excellence and for delivering solutions and for having strong relationships and for all the things that I came to learn are part very much of the professional services world and and certainly accounting. So it it really is not as big a change from being an audit partner to being a chief people officer as you might otherwise believe. In fact, I think some of my most transferable skills go all the way back to being a college resident assistant at Boston College, right? And I think about those interpersonal dynamics, those happen with professionals, with humans at all levels. So that's what keeps you being around being around smart people transcends the discipline which you're in. So I just find the environment of professional services stimulating in that regard. And funny, my son is a resident assistant. Good to know that that helps shaped <laughs> it's the beginning of something big. I'm yes, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, and I also started my HR career in the accounting and auditing part of Deloitte. I wasn't an accountant, but I actually worked for the partner in charge of HR uh, back then at Deloitte and ended up at Accenture which was at one point part of Anderson Anderson Consulting. Anderson Consulting way back when. Absolutely. So so I can date myself right there with you. 
Thank you for that. (laughs) How did your education and experience with accounting, which is often considered a logical conservative field, prepare you to lead people? The important part uh, of accounting, professional services, providing those services to clients, the, the heart of it is really not technical. Technical excellence is mandatory, of course, right? But but the heart of doing it well, differentiating the people who do it less well, really, those, those skills are very transferable to our people and culture function, right? So when I think about what makes a great client service professional, it's it's someone who who seeks to understand before being understood, right? It's somebody who separates feelings from facts. It's somebody who can be passionate while being dispassionate about the challenge in front of them and can create shared relationships that lead to creating shared solutions together. And so when I think of that, you know, working with a management team, a CFO, an audit committee, a, an executive team of a major client, or I think about working through something within the dynamics of our own internal teams, those skills are entirely transferable. I may park the audit tick marks to the side, but especially at a senior level as a partner, you're doing less less about the tick marks, right? And more about those relationships and, and communication skills. So to me, not so different, more, more the same than different, somewhat to my surprise as well. So you were valedictorian of your graduating class at Boston College. I don't think BC does, their valedictorians do not give speeches, but I believe you presented to your high school graduating class. Yes, well, yes, to to my delight, you are not required to do a speech um, because (laughs) at your commencement from college. Um, But yes, I did have the opportunity even before that in high school. and, And it's interesting to me that I remember portions of that like it was yesterday. And I was I was reflecting on that recently because how much is the same with so many things different. You know, I think again, if we're gonna if we've gone ahead and dated ourselves, and I can also admit that the personal computer was invented when I was in college. So <laughs> there certainly wasn't any social media stimulation and overstimulation, all of the distractions that people struggle with now. But I remember saying back at on the at the high school commencement, you know, we're all bombarded with advertisers and others, you know, trying to get our attention. It was a noisy world even then, right? And I was probably thinking about billboards and TV commercial TV where people took in programs, right? No Netflix, but TV commercials and billboards. But even then it was overstimulation. I remember talking about you can be lonely actually in the midst of all of that, right? You can be very alone in a really noisy, crowded place. I was calling on myself and my classmates back then of, could we be the communicators? Can we be the bridge builders, right? Can we be the ones who connect most effectively to others? The snippet I remember is talking about being being bridge builders. And so I think, what what does the world need more now than, than that? Yeah, because you could have been giving that speech today. If I still had it, I, I'd be... I'd, <laughs> Yeah, it's still I, do, applicable. Yeah, I do think that I do think that 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 part is timeless, and I'm I'm happy for that. I'm a strong proponent of workplace flexibility, as you might know. Toptel, we don't have offices. We've been around for over 11 years, and we are a global company that's from the start has been 100 remote. So inherently, it creates a flexible workplace. And work environment. I know BDO has been a longtime pioneer in workplace culture and flexibility, especially considering financial services industry has been traditionally more conservative in this regard. In June, you solidified that with the BDO Flex program. 
Can you tell me about that program and what flexibility means to you? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kudos to TopTal. I guess, I guess you had no bad habits you have to break if you start from a universally flexible environment, right? But but creating meaningful relationships and building culture, I'm sure you have a lot to share and say on that yourselves. From, from our perspective, we're much more hybrid, right? We do, we come from a world that was go to a brick and mortar place most always, right, right. for all the work that you do to where we are now. You know, I, th- I think that the, the, the soul of it is that it's built on trust, right? It, it has to be built on trust of, of saying we we employ really smart, good, well-intentioned, purpose-driven people, and we trust them to create good outcomes individually and as members of teams. And so if they, if they keep that end in mind, right, then how they get there, the, the, the where and the when and the how and the what are, are less the objective, right? We don't start the conversation with where do I need to be? We start the conversation with what do I need to achieve and what do we together need to achieve and how do we depend on each other? It's not an individual sport. So do you have a formal, is it called the flex program that people have guidelines to follow? And there's, there are loving guardrails. It's, it's called uh, BDO flex and, and it is most recent guardrails. BDO like flex. What, you like that? Loving yeah. guardrails. Loving guardrails. It's been recently called BDO Flex. What's next? Right. Okay. And this is amped up version. And I think uh, I see it as moving, moving maybe for more from an individual mindset. What do I need in my life to adding on, you know, how do we function best as a team? And that that's the collection of what everybody needs in their lives. And, but, and how do we create great client service outcomes and fulfilling careers and wellness for our team members. And how do we, we count on each other? It is, it is not a wake up in the morning and decide what you want to do today plan. That's not our definition of, of flex, but creating great outcomes together. And I say loving guardrails because there, there needs to be some architecture, right? And there, there needs to be some shared philosophy, but what there needs not to be is, is a rule book of how it's going to work for everybody. Uh, that that suggests a one size fits all or a doctoral thesis length set of instructions on how to do it. I think of it as as a centralized philosophy with a, with a dispersed authority because what what's going to work for a a client service team managing you know, managing our relationship with a hedge fund in New York City may look a whole lot different than a manufacturer in Detroit or our, our IT team working together and collaborating or wh- whatever the discipline, it's, it's, it's different in every client situation and every team situation, regardless of whether your clients are internal or external. We're suggesting people try some things and let's, let's embrace that it's not all going to work. Let's experiment together. We've had a lot of muscle built on an in- innovative mindset in our organization. And so let's, um, I do like the phrases, I don't know to whom to attribute them, but but the fail, fail fast, fail forward mindset, but let's, let's try and let's throw away what didn't work, but don't, but stay the course and keep the faith. I told everybody, if I tried to write the rule book, I probably would fail miserably, but for sure you wouldn't like it, right? Because it just, it just wouldn't fit your reality. No one likes rules. No one likes rules. (laughs) You know, historically, and I've been in the financial services arena too. I mean, most firms are not ready for hybrid work. I think there's still leaders that are resisting that change. You know, there's still, even though we were forced into this pandemic, I think people are, are trying to force some folks back to the FaceTime situation. So how is BDO different? And what would you say to these leaders that are still pausing and still wanting people to try to come back into the office. 
Yeah, what I have said, um, whether it was a, a BDO leader or, or a curious leader outside of BDO, said, you know, how do we get people back to the office? I, and again, kind of got a little bit snarky, but I say, by not starting with that question, <laughs> again, it, oh. it feels like a rule, right? It feels it's not about the place. You've got you've got to listen, right? You've got to listen to what people need, and 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 we know what our people need because we've asked them. Right. And and we do hear like I want to maintain flexibility. You know, 90 percent of our people said I, I am effective. My work is effective and efficient at home. And more than 70 percent said I want to maintain some kind of hybrid when going back happens. Right. But they also said I want to see people. I want to connect. I want to have team meetings. I want to create those meaningful connections. I want to have those spontaneous conversations. I want to have fun together. So my sort of my lead was, if you want people to come back, create FOMO, just do some fun things that people have been craving. It's amazing what some boxes of pizza in the middle of a Tuesday can do for populating an office, right? But let's let's start easy and let's not put pressure on each other and let's not try to make it the same. It's everybody's path the same because people are in different places for lots of reasons. But I, th- I think I, what I would say to leaders is consider the possibility that this could be great for your people and great for business. I, I don't come from a scare tactic of you're just going to lose a lot of people if you don't because the great resignation, uh, that's all true. But but a more maybe just a more positive frame of thinking is con- consider the possibility that this could be great for business and people. And the, the, the pandemic's an, an awful tragedy of epic proportions, but it did force us to reconsider some assumptions as well, because what you thought was impossible, it became possible out of necessity. So let's let's take that forward. Let's take those new discovered possibilities forward and, and keep them alive. Yeah, I, I've talked to a lot of leaders and, and they've asked me how, how we do it. And I've said, you know, you actually have the advantage because you've worked in the office with these people. You know what they're capable of and how great they are. So you should trust that their work product is not going to change when they're sitting at home. Like you've already seen them and work with them. They already have gained your trust. So why can't you trust them to be at home? So exactly. yeah, yeah. We, we, we're, you know, we hit the ground running and that we, we've worked on it for a long time. This certainly this was pandemic was a huge accelerant and and I'm not suggesting we've perfected it, but we at least had practiced for a while. Right. Because I think in a Forbes article I, I read, you had said flexibility is a business strategy. 100%. This is, it's not an either or, right? It creates opportunities for dynamically delivering client service in, in a differentiated way that works for our clients as well, right? So, yeah, this isn't a, is it a people strategy or is it a business strategy? We, we, we actually believe they coexist you know, energized people who are whole self well are are best positioned to deliver superior service. And our clients are people too, living similar situations, right? And so if we work collaboratively with them, all kinds of great solutions can be created. So we we do believe it's a winning business strategy and there's nothing that serves our clients better than if we can attract and retain great talent to serve them, right? And speaking of attracting great talent, since the market is crazier than I've ever seen it, in my many, many years. Amen. I have never seen this recruiting madness. How has your flexibility strategy impacted your ability to attract talent? We know from the research we've read, we know from the surveys we've done internally that that flexibility really, really matters to people. Apart, you know, people are talking with their feet, right? They're going somewhere else if their needs are not met and understandably so. The worst thing you can do is to have a set of, as you said, policy statements that don't 
actually feel like they're affecting your life. We're really trying to listen to our people and, and allow them the, the navigational space to make it work for real in their life. I, I have people around our organization maybe getting tired of my, my way of approaching it, which is every time we're studying something, I say, but what about the tax senior in Detroit? And they're like, who? I'm like, I don't know who. I'm just saying if I were a tax senior in Detroit, it's just my persona to think about, right? <laughs> if it can work for the tax senior in Detroit, then maybe we're on the right path. It takes a lot of spade work to keep it real, but that's what we're after um, is, is making it real for people. And we do think we're practiced at it and, and it is an attractor and a retainer for us. Flexibility has become clearly a necessity for working parents. And you and I seems have both balanced demanding careers while also raising children. What did that experience teach you about managing your shifting priorities, workloads, and time management? I let you in on the secret that I don't have a passion for generally accepted accounting principles. I mean, the, the next secret is I had my first child when I was being admitted to the partnership at Arthur Anderson. And when I came back from maternity leave, I was due for a new password and on my computer. And my new password was two years because that is exactly how long I planned to stay. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so that's my secret. That was, that was your um, vision board. Yeah, she was born <laughs> in 1996. And so here we are, right? Yep. And um, I didn't leave Anderson, it, it left me. And so we're on to a new adventure. But I, I, I realized day by day, you know, I braced myself for let me just gut this out. I just became a partner. Maybe I can do it for two years because who leaves when they're about to be a partner, right? You've got to put, put that capstone title on your career and then go yeah. off to, to other adventures. And But then I thought I, it started with, well, this isn't terrible. And then I, I kind of found my thrive. That was before BDO and before our core purpose. But when I think back on it, I'm like, I'm kind of thriving at this. It's kind of not broken. There's kind of possibilities. And now and again, I'd get what I think is the ultimate compliment for a working parent is somebody at, at preschool or a library hour or field trip says, wait, you work? You're at everything. <laughs> I'm like, you bet, because I am not going to have a midlife crisis that started with I wasn't at anything, right? So I think you can have it all. It's kind of like being on a diet. People are like, you know, what, what do you eat? And, I, and I'm like, I eat everything. It's just no longer all in the same day. Right. <laughs> so, I found through experimentation and I, I guess before it was fashionable because there were no formal programs. I just had some, some good leadership who was willing to support and experiment with me about what would work. I learned from that. And, and I also learned from watching my kids, right? I, I learned more about that. They're the next, you know, digital natives. They're, they're the next iteration of emerging professionals and I watch them and take take my game up a little bit. It's like skiing with them. You know, they ski faster than me. And so I have to up my game. What should people teach their children about the future of work and how will it be different for them? When I think about just watching, my kids are just entering the working world or graduates coming out of graduate school and so forth. And and I think how should I advise them having had some some decades of professional experience here and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of that, that, that writing, everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten, everything they need to know that learning is, which is maybe a different way of saying, like, just if you've got the right core values, a lot of other things will change and you're going to have to embrace change. That's one of our core values, embrace, embrace change. But there are these timeless values, like, you know, have a growth mindset and be a lifelong learner and find, find value in every experience. Back in the day, they'd ask us to do things on the copier. Nobody prints or copies anything anymore. But but 
look at what you're copying and learn something. I mean, the most ministerial task could be educational if you embrace it, or even the, the interaction with whoever asked you to go make a copy or print something was the beginning potentially of some relationships of value, every experience. And, and mostly, you know, I think we start our conversation with, with trust, you know, earn trust and be someone who can be trusted, right? Be, be someone who people can count on. If I could predict the future, I'd have a lot more money in the stock market, right? But, but, but if you, <laughs> we if all would, right? We all would. So I'd, I'd, I'd be running some fund or doing something like that. But so predicting what it's going to look like, I don't know, but I can, I can with, with high confidence predict that the things we were supposed to learn in, in kindergarten will keep us on the right path if we if we hold on to those and, and are true to our core values. I had read something on your company's website that you wrote, I'm going to quote you, while 2020 was undeniably disruptive, that disruption has provided opportunities. So what opportunities did you discover and how have those evolved throughout 2021? I think it provided everybody the chance to think. There's a lot more time to think, right? That may be what's led to some great resignations, right? People are reassessing, people are resetting, they're, they're reevaluating. There's a lot of rewords, right? Revisiting their purpose. And, and I think organizations can do that too, right? Let's revisit our core purpose. Does it mean something to us? Is it still relevant? And reevaluate our, you know, do we have the right culture and how do we maintain our culture in a now different ways of working and and how do we then create the habits or or revive the habits or deepen the habits that create environments that are that are inclusive and and that are growth oriented and that and that build strength and resilience in our people so i do think it's the very human time and and i think if we if we just get really comfortable with that and, and embrace it, then I think we're on to something. You can read the Wall Street Journal every day about, you know, which perk, which new benefit, what's happening with the with base salaries. And that, that's important, right? The price of bread and milk and the mortgage and, it's, and gas is, is always going to be important. I don't mean to be dismissive about that, but, but it doesn't change the heart of how you feel about, about your work, right? The heart of how you feel about your work once you know you can provide reasonably for your family is about, it's about that purpose and, and meaning. And I think the, the more we can feed that and, and help people be their best, truest, most diverse, most well self and bring all of their best self to work comfortably, then I think we're onto something. Yeah. And I, you know, people used to ask all the time about work-life balance. That was always the question. Now it's the flexibility added with the work-life balance. Yeah. And for that reason, we've for many years not used the word balance. When we started BDO Flex and we have a great external firm we work with on this, and I think this term belongs to them, is, was work, work-life fit. So our, our vernacular has always been work-life fit because if you're waiting for the balance, that's like waiting, that's like spring in New England. It's somewhere between you know, too cold and too hot, right? It's, you're never going to find that. But again, you know, you can have it all, but not all on the same day. So we've never, we don't want people to feel they failed because they don't feel balanced. It's just, it's just going to fit. So I'm with you on that. We know that returning to business as usual can't be their objective. Like that's not going to happen, right? And so some companies are trying to go back what have you seen or what are the dangers? I mean, we, we see on the news, oh, someone's telling everybody they have to go back into the office until January. Now there's an uproar. So now it's March. Okay. So now it's April and now this new variant's coming. So, you know, what are you seeing and what are the biggest dangers that you see of trying to go back to the old way of doing things? 
thank goodness we have this core value embrace embrace change, right? Yesterday's gone and and tomorrow is unscripted, right? So so think of turn our mindset to thinking about the possibility, not trying to create recreate the past, right? But a small minority of people want to run back to the way it was. The, the very, very vast majority want to run forward towards something better. And so I do think we have to entertain positive possibility, right? Just have a belief like, let's see, have an openness to let's see what that might look like. We have a real opportunity of embracing change, right? And so in that opportunity, it, it all comes back for me to being, you know, people focused and purpose driven. The, the details we can draft and then we can redraft them and we can throw out parts and, and experiment and fail fast and fail forward. But but it always comes back to the heart of understanding the needs of your people. And that 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 understanding needs to be, it's one conversation at a time and, and it's it's not one survey and we have a master plan. It's one conversation at a time, one-on-one groups and you know small focus groups, all that, but staying tuned to what our people really, really need. And, and if we stay with that and we deliver our, our core promise and our core purpose of helping people thrive, be a purpose-driven culture, then I think you've got possibility. But desperation and trying to recreate what was, I think is a fundamentally faulted strategy. And not that, not that fun. I mean, the, the unknown can be frightening or it can be an amazing unscripted possibility, right? And so I, th- I think we have to help people with that energized mindset of it's, it's the world is full of possibility. Let's, let's write the script together and not be afraid of it. People have options. So if they don't like it. They will go next door. Or as I say to the children, you know, life is full of choices. They all have consequences, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so one last question. So we know that HR and people management is in a state of constant and rapid change, but beyond the flexibility and the things that we've discussed, what are the biggest changes that you see happening in the next several years? What's next? Um, I'm, I'm beating a drum here consistently, but but purpose and culture need to stay at the center. And I think if you've got that North Star, then other details will, will follow. You know, sustainability matters, right? ESG, elements of ESG matter to people. They matter to our prospects. We get a lot of questions when we're working on proposals about articulating our our progress and our plans and our philosophies around elements of ESG like like diversity, equity, and, and inclusivity, and and like corporate social responsibility, and and people care. Our clients care. Our prospects care. Our markets care. Our future employees care. Our future partners care about what they're part of. So I do think we need to be responsible organizations beyond running a good business. The, the elements of that matter and culture matters and how so how someone's experience is, how they feel about how they're treated. You know, with where do, is their voice heard? Does someone take the time to care about them, to understand their individual, by definition, diverse, unique perspective, right? Does someone care and help them find a connection to their purpose and, and a connection to your organization's purpose? BDO has helped to create an, an executive education program for, this is not just for internal, this is for external, for CEOs and C-suite executives. It's called the Conscious Business Leadership Academy. And that provides CEOs and C-suite executives this training and resources because we believe this matters not just to BDO, but, but to corporate America and the corporate world beyond America. We are putting some intentionality behind it, trying to help propagate that faith a little bit and help leaders of many organizations get 
get ready to lead into into the future. I think it's I think it's an exciting and powerful future indeed. Well, I appreciate the time that you've taken with us today, Catherine. I, I also appreciate your very real take on everything. You're not strict corporate policy, but uh, the flexibility and and you know in HR you kind of have to have a sense of humor and. <laughs> That's how we get through it. Yeah, exactly right. That's my coping (laughs) mechanism. And anyone that's willing to tolerate it is is deeply appreciated. It's been an absolute pleasure to have our conversation, Michelle. And uh, I don't don't have a style available other than the one you've seen. So I appreciate you embracing it and, and having me with you today as well. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about the talent economy on staffing.com and toptel.com slash insights. Hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.